Six weeks ago, we started on this journey. And the journey was answering the question, who am I? The existential question that we all ask at one point in our lives or another. And over those last six weeks, we've looked in the book of Ephesians to see how God tells us who we are. The Apostle Paul says, we are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to conclude our explanation into who we are by providing a framework of not who we are, but a framework of how if the world shakes us, if the world comes out against us, that we will never have to question our identity again. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to start in verse 14. And it goes like this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a powerful prayer. To understand this prayer, we actually have to go back one verse to verse 13. Verse 13 says this, So I, Paul, ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, the context that Paul writes this prayer in is pretty bleak. He's imprisoned in Rome for committing a crime he didn't commit. You see, he's he's imprisoned because people have said that he's trying to commit treason, that he's trying to overthrow the emperor. But it's not the first time he ended up in jail. This is not his first battle with hardship and suffering. In fact, it's the culmination of all the suffering that he's endured. He he was arrested, he was stoned, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by poisonous snakes for what he believed his calling was. And now he's sitting in a Roman prison, not knowing when his case will be heard. And he says to the people around him, do not lose heart. Notice here, he didn't say, I lost heart. He says, you don't lose heart. Because it's clear to me and it's clear to his readers that he didn't give up. And in fact, when you start looking at why he didn't give up, you start thinking, well, why didn't he quit? Because if it were me, I would have quit three shipwrecks ago. I would have quit three imprisonments ago. I would have quit the first time they threw a stone. But he didn't quit. He didn't quit going about what he believed was his calling. So how do you not lose heart? And to understand that, we have to understand a psychological term called grit. Now, if you're a teacher, an educator, um, social scientist, you probably know what grit is. Grit is a non-cognitive positive trait that an individual has to achieve a goal. Here's what that means. It means that two people born in the same socioeconomic class can vary in their 
lifelong achievement. Meaning, depending on how much grit you have, you can achieve a lot because you have a lot of grit or you could achieve nothing because you don't have the grit and you don't have what it takes to achieve that. Now, now I know some things come to your mind when you start thinking about grit. You probably start thinking about that Navy SEAL, right? During Navy training, during SEAL training, they're dropped off in the middle of the ocean somewhere and they're swimming. They don't know which way is north, south, east, west, and they swim and it's like two degrees in the water and they're just swimming for their life. They're told, go find the beach. And they swim and they swim and they swim and their legs are about to go out. They can't feel their fingers anymore because they've been swimming so long. And in anger, that seal grits his teeth, gulps that salty water and makes it to the beach. He succeeded. That's grit. Maybe it's not like that. Maybe in your head, you're picturing the five foot six Irish son of a coal miner named Rudy. He applies to Notre Dame, not one time, not two times, not three times, but four times. He didn't get in the first three times. In fact, he was about to give up on the fourth time when he said, you know what, if I can't get into the school, the last thing I will do is I'll work for the school. I'll work inside that stadium. And he does. He works in the stadium, and then he applies again. That fourth time, that's grit. He gets in. His crowning achievement, he gets to play in one garbage play at the very end. That's great. That's his lifelong glory. Maybe you're not thinking that at all. You're probably thinking, hey, that single mom or dad, he or she works 100 hours, three different jobs, just to put food on the table. And that person does it day in, day out, gritting his or her teeth so that his or her child can have food on the table, can have clothes on their backs, and they do this. Now that's grit. Those are all examples of grit. And let's face it, Paul had the same type of grit. He probably had even more grit. But what we have to understand here is this. The reason Paul doesn't call it quits is because he prays for grit. You see, grit, if you break it down into a mathematical equation or a formula, you'd understand that grit is nothing more than perseverance multiplied by effort plus passion multiplied by effort. Yes, I know I said effort twice and that was for a reason, but this is exactly what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying that, hey, I need grit to get through this because surely there's no way out of this Roman prison. So this is my big idea for all of us today. If you need grit to get through the life circumstances that you're facing, we need to all pray bigger. You see, the Christian life never promised us stress-free Ease, comforts, none of that. In fact, Paul had it easier before he became a Christian. What's guaranteed is that your identity in Christ will never leave you. That's what's guaranteed. Despite everything that's going against you, God is not leaving you. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. That's what's promised. And Paul understood this. Here's what praying bigger means according to Paul. Look at look. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me one more time. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see, Paul understood his identity. He was a child of God. That's why he came and said, I am bowing my knee to my Father. 
Not to some unknown God, but to my dad, to my father. I'm bowing down because I've been adopted as a child of God. And he knew his purpose was clear that despite what he's facing, he can go before the father because the father is that big. He is large. He created the universe. Things in the world are named after him. This is the same father we all share. Our father. Yet it's so sad that we don't take advantage of praying the way Paul does when we're about to give up. You see, Paul draws down on the strength that God gives to give us perseverance, passion, and effort. For some reason in our heads, and I don't know why, it's easier for us to believe that God can raise Jesus from the dead than for God to restore our health. I don't know why, but it is, right? It's easier for us to believe that sin can be paid for, but he can't get us out of debt. So we live in that, that failure, that obstacle. It's easier for us to believe that God is walking with us than for him to heal the hurts and pains from our broken relationships, from our miscarriages, from our failures, from our losses. Family, it's not enough for us to pray, God, help me, I need the winning numbers for that $40 million mega millions. We all know that $40 million isn't going to save you. It's not going to solve your problems. Biggie said it himself, that prophet Biggie, he said what? He said, more money, more problems, right? (laughs) Come on now, we all know that's what it results in. But we need to pray bigger the same way Paul prayed bigger. He prayed bigger because he knew that he was going up against something greater than he is. But his father, his father in heaven, he's greater than all of that. So three ways that Paul gives us to pray bigger in this prayer. The first way is this. Pray to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Remember that formula for grit. It's perseverance multiplied by effort plus passion multiplied by effort. And I said effort was in there twice and that was in there twice for a reason. If grit is what we need and effort is what we need, then we need God to give us strength. But not just physical strength, not mental strength. We need God to give us spiritual strength. Spiritual strength is a strength that we get from God when there is no hope. When there is no hope. You see, when we have physical strength, it's great until it runs out. Until we get hungry. Until our muscles fail. You see, mental strength is great. But once it's over, it's over, it's done. But spiritual strength, that doesn't die. That doesn't ever go away because that's from the Spirit of God. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the spiritual strength that we need is available to us. We need to ask God for it. Let me dig a little deeper, right? Um, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This is from the Old Testament. This is what the prophet says. Then God said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Uh, Let me explain. Let me give you some context. Zerubbabel was a government employee. He was the government employee, that leader that was in charge of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem after they came back from Babylon. Now, the problem is this. Just like a lot of other projects, he failed. He 
hit stall, right? Like the work stalled. This is a government issue, right? It doesn't just, not just our country, this happened way before our country. Government project stalled. He couldn't muster the strength to move forward. And this is what the prophet says. Zerubbabel, it's not by your cleverness. It's not by your abilities. It's not even about the people you can rally behind your cause. There's no politicking around this. The temple is going to be rebuilt, not by your strength, not by the might of your people, but my strength, says God, by my spirit. You see, Zerubbabel's grit ran out. He was about to give up before he got this word. You see, Paul knew that. Paul says, let's tap into that. Let's tap into the spiritual strength. Pray and ask God for his Holy Spirit. But here's where it doesn't end, right? In verse 7, it goes, the mountain, that obstacle that you would call a mountain, that's going to look like a molehill. Like a molehill. It's dirt. You can kick that dirt around. That circumstance you're facing, that's a molehill. It's not a great mountain. It's not insurmountable, right? It's there. It's nothing. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit. And here's the best part. The prophet says, not only will that obstacle be a molehill, that impossibility very possible, very realistic, you're going to have a cheering section. Just imagine you're at the pits, you're at the bottom, and you have a cheering section. And that cheering section just gets louder and louder. You can do it. You can do it. You're going to get through this. That failure doesn't mean anything. You're going to recover because none of this matters. And that cheering section does doesn't stop. That's spiritual strength. That's the strength that we need to ask God for. The second way we need to be praying, this big type of prayer is this. Pray for understanding to comprehend the love of Christ. Let's pick this up in the second half of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth? And to know the love Christ had surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me explain this to you because this is a thick, thick two verses. Paul's telling us this. If you want to pray bigger, be rooted and grounded in the love that saved us. Okay? here's what that means. If you all look back at your lives and you look at the moment when you made a decision, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ because he is my savior. You'll know that you were most wretched then. You will know that you were at your worst point. You will know that you were so broken. You were probably questioning, who am I? I know I was. I know in fact that the day God saved me, I was cutting school to hang out with my gangbanger friends because they were cooler. God had no business saving me. But he saves me in the midst of that. And many of you, if you look back on your own stories and remember your own stories, you'll realize too that God saves you in the midst of your worst moment. That's the love of Christ. He didn't love us when we were good. He didn't love us when we were great. He didn't love us when we were mediocre. He loved us when we were the worst. And that's the power of Christ. That's what we have to understand. Because if you think about that type of passion, because he pursued us to the cross, to hell, And back, that's unstoppable. Paul is saying, understand that type of love because that is going to fill you with passion. That second part of grit, isn't it? Passion. An unstoppable love. Imagine what happens to your life when you're filled with that type of love. 
you become unstoppable. Your passion never ends. You keep going. You keep going and you keep going because the love of Christ is within you. you just, just imagine your prayers. Imagine how you pray for yourself when you're filled with that type of love. Your prayers for yourself, they become more than thank you for the, the, the split peas, don't they? they? They become thank you for the clothes that I knew I could buy on my credit card, right? They, they become more than that. They become, God, how do I live more dangerously in the face of all of this? In the face of addiction in my life, in the face of fornication, in the face of our lying, our depression, our anger, our debt. It becomes, God, how do I face the world? And it becomes easy. It becomes Jesus did it. He did it for us. And that's what we peg our hope on. That's what we're praying when we pray bigger. Family, you got to receive this. You got to believe this, that when God laid out his son for us, he did so so that we can be an heir with him so that we can be heirs and partakers of his grace, so that we can be his children, so that we can call him father, so that we can tap into his power, so that we can receive his love, even if no one else loves us. We have to understand the breadth and the length and the height and depth of this type of love in our lives. And when we're filled with this, we're going to be filled with the fullness of God. Just, just imagine who wouldn't we chase down? What wouldn't we do? What couldn't we accomplish when this love of God is within us? Here's a third way we pray bigger. Pray for God to get great glory. Pray for God to get great glory. Let's look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 says, God is able to do far more. Circle that in your Bibles. Circle that phrase in your Bibles, right? Because no matter what we ask for, God can do more, right? I don't care how big your imagination is, God can do more. And yet we fail to pray that way. We fail to pray that way. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what we ask or seek in our prayers, God will do more. That's a guarantee. And he's going to do more for his great glory. Not for our glory, not for Jonathan's glory, not for Woodside Bible Church's glory, but for God's glory. And he does it. He does it well. And he does it like we can't even imagine or fathom. And that's what's amazing. That's how we should be praying. Look, verse 21, Paul continues by saying, this is the type of big prayer that helps us experience God right? This is just the power. This is the tip of the iceberg. And that's why he doesn't quit. Because he's in prison. He is suffering, not for his glory or his sake, but for the glory of God. How amazing is that? That it was the glory of God that carried him forward. It was the glory of God that got him through. It didn't take him out of the situation. He still suffered. But guess what? In the midst of his suffering, he started writing. He started writing to all the, the churches that he planted. And that inspires us today, 21 centuries later. Just think about that. In his suffering, God gets great glory. That's what spurred Paul on to continue, even though there was no hope. There was no hope. So just think about your life. If we're praying to, for God, God, get your great glory. You have to understand that God saved you so that you can boast more than just a comfortable life. 
He saved you for more than just a nice family photo. He saved you more for just modest upward career mobility. He saved you for his glory. He saved you because when we're alcoholics, when we're suicidal, when we're lonely, when we're depressed, when we're angry, when we were broken, when we were pathologically lying to ourselves, he saved us so that no matter what we did, no matter what we do, he can get the glory in our lives. We didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. We didn't go to hell. Jesus did. But Jesus rose again. And that's our victory. That's God's glory. But it's our victory. He came back to life. We win again. Death couldn't hold them. It's not going to hold us. That's the promise. That's our identity in Christ. That when we believe in Jesus, we get to witness the great glory of God unfolding powerfully in our lives. And when we pray God's glory to be present in our lives, there's never any reason for grit to run out. It can't. Because it's by God's great power. It's through his riches. It's through his wonderful, wonderful love for us. We need to pray bigger for God to display his glory in our lives. In your bulletins, you all received this card. The card says, pray bigger. And I want to encourage all of you to pray bigger by asking God to glorify himself in four areas. Personal, family, church, and community revival. You see, revival is happening. That's God's glory. And we need to be praying bigger and asking God to get glory in this revival movement. See, if grit was the reason the Apostle Paul didn't quit, then we have to understand God is putting grit at our fingertips. He's making it accessible to us that despite the fact that we don't have any more hope, he gives us hope. The fact that we can't persevere anymore because we're tired, he says, no, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue you. He's going to allow us to witness his great glory in our life. If you're here today and your life feels like hell and you need grit to get through this season of life or just even the day, rest assured, your identity in Christ is not shaking. It's not going anywhere. You are a child of a rich God. And you can expect him to do far more than you ever expected. So go beyond safe prayers of provision and pray dangerous prayers of faith. God will give you his spirit to strengthen you. He'll give you perseverance. He'll fill you with the passion from his love. And he'll do far more than we can ever believe will happen. If you've never experienced this type of love or you need this type of grit right now, pray this prayer with us. Father in heaven, we come to you. We confess that we're sinners. We need your mercy and grace. Come into our lives. Strengthen us with your Holy Spirit. Help us understand the love that you have for us in the midst of our sins, of our afflictions, of our sufferings. Help us grasp the height and depth and breadth 
by which you're moving in us. Fan that fire of love so that our hearts and our minds can be free to live a life pointing glory to God, our Father. God, take this from head knowledge, make it a heart knowledge, make it an action that we do. God, we confess you as our Savior. Receive us as your children. Give us the gift of grit to live into the promises you hold to bring you great glory. Lord, do so much more in our lives than we can ever ask or think forever and ever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.